This morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke. We've been in Luke uh, since December. We'll be in Luke until Easter. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. You're going to see that Jesus is speaking here. Jesus is going to tell a, a parable, and it has a purpose behind it. And the purpose is about prayer. Uh, you'll notice right away, all of my points have a P word in them. I'm going with the good pastoral thing of alliteration. So my title is The Power of Persistent Prayer. So let's begin our time in prayer. Father, we come before you now to look into your word. Uh, your word that is true, not only historically, but also meaningfully for our lives on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And as we come to hear about Jesus and prayer, we, we want to learn, we want to know, Lord, I, I feel it myself that my prayer is so often inadequate or uh, selfish or, or not enough. And Father, I want to mimic your son in his prayer life and how he encourages us to pray as a church and to pray persistently and to notice its power. So Father, hear our prayers now and teach us by your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was talking to a man who uh, was dealing with severe anxiety. He had uh, recently gotten married, a really beautiful time in his life, uh, but he was so distraught, so overtaken by anxiety that um, he had to be hospitalized. He had to have medicine and care given to him and just trying to find some hope and help and so I was able to talk to him. Now I listened, I had some empathy, I tried to just understand where are you at, uh, what is causing these fears, emotions in you and by the end of our conversation he, he was asking me about prayer. He had known, he had realized in his own life that he, he was scared. He needed something to get him through. And his answer, what he thought was, was prayer. And I, I agree with him on that. And so we, we talked about prayer. First, we just talked about what, what do you do? How do you speak to the God of the universe, right? How do you speak to the one that spoke things into creation? What do you say? Do you just talk like it's your best friend? Do you speak in like big religious language? How do you pray? And I gave him some help, some tips, and I said, well, why don't I pray first, and then you pray with me? And so that's what we did. I, I prayed with him. I held his hand, and then he prayed through tears at the end. I don't know what happened to him after that brief meeting, if his anxiety went poof, gone. My guess is not, but I believe in the power of prayer. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I have to, right? But I mean, as a Christian, I believe I've seen things of what prayer has done. But to be really honest with you, this, this, this whole idea of believing, of talking this morning and the power of persistent prayer, it's been hard for me this week because I, I've been questioning myself, do I really believe this? 
If I think about all of these things, this, this, this idea of power, of persistent, of prayer, am I really believing and doing these things? If you were to watch my life, would you be like, oh, Pastor Kevin really believes in these things? I mean, do you, do you believe in the power of prayer? So much so that you do it often. You pray for lost loved ones often. Do you believe that it actually does something or is it just kind of a thing you have to do because you're a Christian? Do you really believe in that power, that it has power? Or in the persistent idea of it, do you just pray once? Do you just pray before dinner? Um, you pray for somebody, you know, in the moment, or you say you'll pray for somebody and then don't. But do you believe in that persistently, ongoingly praying for someone does something more? And then prayer, that last part, the power of persistent prayer. What does that mean? <laughs> Those questions as I talk with that guy who had anxiety about how do you do it? How do you talk to the God of the universe? Is it just a conversation? Do you, do you only do it before meals? All of those questions and more we're going to kind of dive into this morning. Jesus is going to teach here about prayer and, and how it is so vital for us as believers, not just to do it occasionally, but to make it part of our life. If we are a faith-filled believer, then we should be praying. It begins with this parable about it, and here's the purpose of it, and then explains it some more. So look with me at chapter 18. Um, we'll just start with verse 1. And he, this is Jesus, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So let's just stop right there before we get into the whole parable. There's a lot to just unpack in that one little verse. So our author, Luke, the historian, the doctor, he's a missionary traveler. He's wanting to write about what Jesus did, what's true, what's historical. And he, he says right away that Jesus told this parable with a purpose. We'll get to what the exact purpose of this parable is in a moment, but I want to first just talk about parables. If, if you read the New Testament, if you read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll come across parables. Jesus often spoke in parables. I mean, why, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just speak plainly to us? Last week, we looked at Luke 15, where Jesus tells three parables in a row, all dealing with this lost and found, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. They're, they're not meant to be a, a direct one-to-one -one correlation to life. Uh, not everything in the parable is, is, is always meaningful, that the point of the parable is what is meaningful. In, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, the disciples are confused themselves. Jesus has been teaching and speaking in parables. And they, they, they go to him at verse 10 and they say, Why do you speak in parables? 
And Jesus says this. He says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. He's talking about the Pharisees and other people that don't understand. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will not, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn I would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it but to hear what you hear and did not hear it perfect sense, right? Makes total sense what he said there. What he's trying to say about the parables is there's, on, on the one hand, there's two meanings to them. For some people, they will be this aha moment, make sense. For other people, like the Pharisees in his time, they will be confusing and, and won't make any sense. And they will have this kind of dual purpose. Uh, Matthew Henry, this Puritan writer, he said, the parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time, more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. I've always liked this phrase, uh, this, this poet, author, Emily Dickinson, said, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. There's something about stories, about poems, about music that somehow can, can touch our heart, um, can, can speak to our mind, our heart, our whole being at the same time. Movies have this, this same effect, right? It's, it's kind of what I think Jesus is using, some sort of story or parable to get to the heart of this. Um, I, I really enjoy movies and TV shows, and one of my favorite genres has been kind of this superhero thing that has come out, right? Um, I remember um, a number of years ago when the Avengers movie Infinity War came out, and I, I was having a hard time. I was struggling through some things, and I went to that movie by myself and I came away like ready for life. I'm going to go fight the bad guys, right? It like charged me up to like, I'm going to go be a superhero. I saw a movie yesterday. It was, it was a DC movie. Um, it was the Batman. It had the opposite effect on me, I'll just tell you that. I don't know if you're DC or Marvel fans, but uh, it is a dark movie. I'm not going to give spoilers away or tell you anything about that, but it's... It was not my favorite. It was very dark. I was very sad afterwards. Did not have the same effect on me. But, but stories, movies, parables are supposed to affect you in some way. That's what they're meant to do. Go to the heart and not just the head. There's 
a story even in the Old Testament where David does something terrible. He, he commits murder. He has adultery with a woman. And he's the king and he's doing just fine. Nobody's called him out. And all of a sudden a prophet, Nathan, comes and says, let me tell you a story. And he just tells him a story and and it's a story that's similar to David's story. And by the end, David is so mad and furious that he says, well, let me go attack and get this guy. And Nathan says, well, you are the man in this story. And all of a sudden, David gets it. That's what they're meant to do is to tell it slant, get to our heart. Now, this particular parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus gives us the point right up front. He says, you are to pray always, pray persistently, and to not lose heart. This is the whole point of this parable that he is going to talk about. So, so there's, there's two parts to this, right? You are to pray, well, three parts, where there's pray, this always part of it, and then to not lose heart while you are doing that. So to pray. I've already kind of talked about the, the hard idea of what is prayer sometimes for us, that it's hard sometimes even to think about, well, how do I talk out loud to the God of the universe? Prayer is, is simply sharing our heart, sharing our thoughts with a God who cares. Sometimes it's using the psalm. Sometimes it's just writing things out. But I've used these two acronyms in my own life of pray and acts. Acts, you adore, you confess, give thanks and supplication. You ask for things. Pray, you praise, you repent, you ask, you yield. It's, it's meant to be this conversation that we have. Um, I've, I've told this story uh, a couple of times before, but it always reminds me of the, the power of prayer and God listening. When I was in high school, I had an experience where God profoundly spoke to me uh, through prayer. Um, it was late at night. It was, well, probably the same time period because it was daylight savings time. My friend and I went to our youth room late at night to play some worship music. It was about midnight, and um, there was a sunroof in our youth room for whatever reason, and as we're playing worship songs, this storm just begins to build and build and build with these lightning strikes kind of happening with our guitar strokes, and then as we stopped playing, the storm just completely died down. We began to just pray out loud, and it was just silent for an hour or so, and just this palpable reminder to me that God hears and is there and is powerful. But Jesus says that I want you always to pray, even when there's not some sort of big storm or thing happening that's responding, but you should always pray. I mean, is this, we just say things enough that he'll hear us, that uh, some sort of nagging prayer? <laughs> pray often, pray always. I was reminded this last week of the movie, The, the War Room. If you've seen that, it's this movie about uh, a woman who turns a room in her house 
into a prayer closet or prayer room and begins to do war by, by praying, praying for her family, praying for friends. It's this, this permanent reminder that it talks about of praying often. I know so many of you out here that come by yourself or you have close family or friends who are non-believers at all. And you pray often for them, and you should, that God would save and do something. Because this last part is so important. We should pray, we should pray often, and to not lose heart. It can be so hard sometimes when you've prayed a couple times, many times, day after day after day for somebody or something to happen, and it just seems like the answer is no, or not yet. This parable, this idea is meant to encourage us to pray a lot, often, and to not be disappointed. So, let's see what this parable is. Verses 2 through 5. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. There's the parable. I mean, at first blush, this seems like, what is this? What? This is really different from what I expected, maybe, about this unrighteous judge. Isn't God unlike that? But let's, let's break it down a little bit. There's two characters, right? There's this judge. There's a widow. This judge is described as being godless, doesn't respect anybody else. This is the worst possible kind of judge you could have, right? A judge should be um, non-partial. They should have some sort of higher law, hopefully God's laws in mind when they're making judgments or talking about things with people. They should respect people and have the idea of the image of Christ, hopefully in them, that they want to respect people. This guy does none of that, doesn't no God, doesn't worship God, doesn't respect people, none of that. So that's the one picture. The other picture is a widow. Same city. Widows are often talked about as in the same category as orphans. Widows and orphans are used as kind of a category together in the Bible to talk about those that are helpless. Uh, beaten down by the system. Uh, widows in that time period, if they didn't have any family to take care of them, they were just kind of lost. And so this widow is coming to this judge as her only means of, of help. And there's some sort of adversary attacking her against her, and she's asking for justice from this judge. Just, you know, side note for us to think about. Um, I was at a conference this last week, beginning of the week, and um, talked about 
all people's ministry. And one of those people groups they mentioned was a very large, unreached people group in our own backyard. Um, As you think about kind of widows and orphans that day, it would be kind of our same thing today. And they mentioned that this giant unreached people group was what's known as kind of special needs ministry. Many families of special needs, kids and adults, um, have divorced in their families, have, uh, don't have the gospel there. And something to think about and to pray about what it means for you, for us as a church, to be open to help people like that. Back to our parable, though. Uh, here's what happens. The judge at first refuses. <laughs> he knows, though, who he is. He says, okay, I don't fear God. I don't fear man. I don't care about anything. I just care about myself. And this widow keeps bothering me. I mean, the, the literal translation is like, she's going to give me a black eye. She's going to beat me up over and over and over again by asking me. If you're a parent out there of young children like I am, you know what this feels like. Kids ask you things a lot. Uh, my kids will ask me the same thing over and over and over again within three seconds of it you know, until I respond. Dad, dad, dad. Okay, I heard you the first time, right? I know what this feels like. This is how this guy is. He just feels bothered by this widow and he says, fine, I'll give her justice so she won't keep beating me down. This feels strange to us, though, because why, why is this the parable? Why is this, how is this about God? I mean, this, this judge is terrible. Is God also terrible? Uh, should we just pester God until he relents? Is God constantly annoyed by us? Are we just always bothering him? I mean, you ever feel like there's someone in your life that you just constantly keep bothering? You Maybe your boss or parent, and you just kind of, you get that feeling from somebody. It doesn't make you want to go to them more often. You feel like, I'm just bothering you, so I'll go somewhere else. Is he not really God of justice? Does God care at all? Well, remember this, this is a parable, so not everything is this one-to-one correlation, but Jesus goes on to explain a little more about what, why he says this. So let's read the rest of this, verses 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, Jesus wants us to see some similarities, but a lot of differences between the judge and God. There's some similarities, right? I mean, that both are sovereign, both are in control, both are judges, um, both can give justice. Both have people crying out to them. But I think he really wants us to see the, the, the contrast, the difference between this unrighteous judge and our righteous God. So we, we pray to a righteous God of justice. I know those are kind of sometimes churchy words or 
words we often use, but they have meaning to them. A righteous God of justice. Here's some of the differences that this, this judge fears and respects no one, but our God is compassionate and good and merciful and just. This judge is unrighteous and this God we serve is righteous. The judge doesn't care, but God cares. The judge doesn't have a people. God has his elect. The judge doesn't care about justice, but God is a God of justice. So we have this righteous God. He is pure. He is holy. He is right. And he cares about justice. Uh, I told you I went to this conference earlier in the week, and I tell you what, it is, uh, it's been a week. Um, you know, you begin with kind of all the stuff of last weekend, of the physical kind of emotional stuff of all that went on in our community and stuff this last week. You go to a conference then that excites you. One of the guys I saw at this conference was uh, a pastor used to be on staff here, Pastor Chad. And Pastor Chad used to always say that there were different kinds of Kevin. Um, when Kevin came back from a mission trip or Kevin went to a conference, there was conference Kevin or mission trip Kevin. There are certain things that kind of fire me up and give me passion. And uh, I tell you what I was like. I was conference Kevin at this conference. I was meeting people and just praying with people and um, so good. And then the rest of the week was dealing with all kinds of things in the area here. Uh, we had the Awana Derby cars, which uh, you can't really see from here, but I drilled my hand making my Derby car for my daughter who won the most bling award at four years in a row. And then we're going on vacation this next week and get ready for that. But at the beginning of the week at that conference I was at, here were the three things they talked about early on. Orthodoxy, women's ministry, and all peoples. What it means to be true to the gospel, orthodox, to be, that's a little bit our, 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 our denomination, we major on the majors, what it means to be true and right orthodoxy. Um, women's ministry, how do we uplift women to do ministry and serve? And then all people, it would be special needs or people from other countries or skin colors or speak different languages. I mean, all of these things that are big topics in our culture that fired me up that our God is a God of justice. This is where I'm going with all this. We pray to a righteous God of justice. And so if you want to see change and things happening for justice in our world, Begin with prayer because our God is a God of righteousness and justice. But Jesus isn't done, though, just kind of contrasting and saying to pray often, do this always. He adds this in and says, here's another difference between God and, and the judge. Um, God will give justice speedily. The judge delayed and waited, but God will do it um, speedily. I think our culture today has influenced the way that we think about speed. I mean, just think about our technology of phones and iPads and computers. 
Um, man, I can think back to when I was in high school when the first person that I knew had a cell phone. Now, it wasn't like this at all, right? It was like the flip phone. I mean, I feel bad for kids today who don't have to, you know, call their parents' house, their house line, and speak to their parents first, that awkward conversation, or speak to their dad to try and speak to their friend, right? I mean, this is so different. It's so immediate today. I remember still having this, like, sheet of paper at home, too, with my friends' names on it. I would call them, say, hey, we're doing this. Come hang out. Or, or even, like, technology and speed today, the Internet. Like, remember the old AOL or dial-up modem sounds to, like, get to the Internet? Our world thinks of speed as immediate right now. If you don't answer my text message, something is wrong, right? This, this is hard for us to think about. What does it mean that God answers speedily? Speedily does not mean immediate, always. Speedily means action when it comes. It will come will happen in God's timing. When God decides to act, he will act speedily, but it's in God's timing. I hate, to, I hate to say it again and to rip on a current movie that I just saw, but the Batman is very slow. I'll just say that, okay? <laughs> I should just move on from that. Um, finally... Persistent prayer depends on faith. Jesus ends this with a question. When I return, will I find faith on the earth? He's saying that prayer is intricately tied into faith. And this persistent, often always idea, it's tied together somehow. I think persistent prayer, it, it cultivates this dependence on God. Persistent prayer depends on faith. Another contrast in this parable he wants to see is that we are not like the, the widow. We are not there just to nag God and to bother him. There is a relationship that we have, we can grow in, and it depends on faith. Faith is about trust. It's about reliance. It's about blind faith sometimes when nothing else makes sense, saying that I'm going to trust and believe in you and pray to you even when I don't want to, even when I don't believe in it. I'm going to pray to you persistently and keep doing it. This is the kind of faith he's talking about, that when Jesus returns someday, and he will return someday, he wants us to be praying persistently in faith, not just in some sort of rote tradition because I have to, but in that relationship of faith. And so let's close our time now in this message and go into worship in prayer, asking for him to give us faith in the midst of it. Father, I come before you and I ask for faith. I ask for faith when 
my heart and my head seem uh, heavy and not for you and against you. And God, I ask that you would help me to put my faith in you often when things seem hard and not to go the right way. But I pray for us as a church too, God, that you would help us to be persistent in this, to keep praying for those that do not know you, whether it be a spouse or a kid or a family member or a friend or a neighbor. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to go out ahead of us, to give us the words, to give us the right actions to hear the good news of the gospel. We know that you are powerful and righteous and just, and you are powerful to save even us who are lost. So God, we put our hope and trust in you alone that you can save, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.